What is up, you sexy bastards? It's your boy, Jupac, aka Ravacantlers, aka Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I talked to Sean Delaney of MCT Co. Sean is the co-founder at MCT Co. And they are one of my favorite bars. I eat them on the regular and I feature them in my 31 days of giveaways. He texted me the other day to say, hey, let's talk about marketing and how to grow online sales even faster for an e-commerce business. So if you want to learn about that, you're going to enjoy the show. In this conversation, there's three major things. Number one, customer growth versus product growth. Number two, getting your very first customers for e-commerce. And number three, learning from other industries with specific examples to start with. Enjoy those three things plus a bunch more ear nuggets along the way. Before we jump into the conversation, go check out hauldrop.com. That's H-A-U-L drop.com. It's a sneak peek of our new product. It is the product hunt for e-commerce products. We're basically promoting the dopest products. Go check it out at hauldrop.com. Also, a special pre-show shout out to listener Carapotamus. I love the name. She left a review saying, definitely worth checking out. Always a few good morsels. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. If you want to shout out in a future episode, just go leave an iTunes review. I check every single one of them. All right. Well, let's talk MCT bars. So it's mctco.com. How long have you guys been doing it? So this has been a process for call it two and a half years, but the new flavors, the bars you've tasted, we relaunched that, reformulated. So those dropped in June. So how do you come up with the bar? I think that's the thing I'm actually most impressed. I'm like, how does he get the packaging? So other co-founders in the company, Joe Christensen, he he was more of a business-minded person. And one of his best friends was a chiropractor, had been experimenting, just doing you know bulletproof coffees, putting MCT oils in his coffee. And then was like, I would much rather just have this in a consumable snack. So then just started formulating. Taste wasn't that good. And this is about the 13th iteration. You kind of just put the puzzle pieces together, right? I mean, any business you've had, you basically go into it not knowing too much. And then so it's like, okay, connect with this person who understands how to design packaging. And then they know this package supplier and you order those. So I mean, it's kind of like a building process and just making the right connections along the way. I mean, I'm sure you've seen plenty of people just so willing to help you out along the way. So say you've got like a great branding person, right? Then they're like, well, I actually know this great digital strategist as well. And so just kind of like small little pieces piling together. Did the chiropractor make the bars at home? Yes. And then we actually use this company called U-Bar. So U-Bar makes the majority of bars for all nutritional raw companies. They're a manufacturer. So now we go to them. We basically break down what we're thinking, ingredients we want, things we certainly don't want to have in the bars. Uh, and we almost work in conjunction with them as an R&D process. Oh, interesting. I never heard of these guys. So you're the Cairo guy made it up. It's you and then two other dudes. That was like two and a half years ago. And then, but you guys kept reformulating it. The initial product wasn't that great. It was running into a lot of issues, completely different packaging. Like what was uh, right about it? The overall flavor profile wasn't that good. Like you guys um, didn't like eating it? I mean, it was fine, right? Like how many bars have you tasted? And you're like, eh, these are fine. So that was the answer. But now we have people who really, really enjoy the product and we do too. So when we felt comfortable with that, that's when we are like, okay, we need to completely repackage this. It needs fresh packaging, uh, new flavor profile. So almost a complete new rebrand is the approach we took. Did you guys try packaging them yourself at first? Or did you guys like try to give it out in like Ziploc bags or? Yeah, we did a flavor test like that. Uh, but no, <laughs> we, uh, we weren't going and, and selling out of a Ziploc bag. It is interesting. So it, I imagine that like you get a bar and it's right the first time, but realistically, it's like, hey, we've spent two and a half years or two years with the bar, a lot of iterations, and then a lot of change to the packaging as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're even seeing it right now. So we are having our next iterations, things we're planning for Q2, three, four, all the new flavor profiles we tested, I think it was three months ago. And we're actually sitting back down with the executive team at U-Bar on the 31st. And so just finalizing those new products we're bringing uh, to market. 
So each time, even when we test the bars, there might be small little tweaks like, hey, there still needs to be about a 10 to 15% increase in sweetness in this one. And then we just have all the variables we can manipulate those with. So we kind of sit there with a big panel, figure out what we like in each one, what we don't, what needs to change, things like that. And another interesting thing that you probably just wouldn't think about is actually how the name of the product actually resonates with the people. So random example, we might have a really good flavor profile. We have this lemon ginger bar where you hear that you might think Asian and that's just a component of the ingredients, but it is the best tasting bar I've ever had. But it, you see lemon ginger and you wouldn't want to try that. So then we have to think about, okay, how do we change the name of this to make that more appealing and it's going to fit that flavor profile? I don't know if that makes that much sense, but no, just some of the things we think about. Well, it's branding, right? Like if you called cocoa chocolate bar, like that could probably have a different like mental impression of what the bar is going to be tasting like. Yeah, absolutely. How do you know if there's like a 10% off with the flavor? Like when you're like, oh, I need, it needs 5% more cumin. Is that just like a, you test it and then it tastes better that way? And how much does that cost to actually make those kind of changes? Uh, so it's basically going to be a fixed cost when we're going to sit down and say, hey, we want to come out with this new, just call it blueberry pancake. We want to design this bar. It's going to be a set fee for the whole design process. And it gives it, I don't know, call it three iterations of changes that we get to go through. I mean, it's similar to like if you sit down with a new marketing company, hey, we'll give you this brand package. You get three iterations of changes uh, and then we'll have that finalized product. We have a pretty good idea, and so do they. I mean, they've been doing this a while, and now the amount of iterations we've done as well, we feel really confident each time we sit down that we're going to be pretty damn close to what we want that final product to look like, and then it's just a really small change here or there. How much does it cost to make a change? Uh, it's a few thousand dollars. So you certainly, if we're going to bring a new product to market, we really put a lot of thought into that. We research first what might be a good fit, what we're looking for, where the company's going to go, prior to even thinking about designing a new one. For flavor stuff, are you looking at like demand side? Like, hey, here's the most popular flavors on Amazon right now, or here's like on YouTube, or here's in the grocery store before you guys are thinking your next flavors? Yeah, we certainly consider that. And I don't want to talk about like some of those traditional things you hear business people like Henry Ford. If I listen to my customers, we would have made a faster course. Uh, but we certainly want to think about what the we'll call it the protein bar industry should look like moving forward, just because in terms of shelf space, it is so crowded. So we do want to think a little bit differently there as well. Uh, so we'll have kind of big components we're thinking about. So a lot of the iterations we're making are going plant-based. Obviously, all of our bars are 100% keto, but figuring that out from a plant-based perspective as well. And then what flavor profiles will fit really well under that. I think what's interesting is you look like Quest Bars, obviously, they got bought for almost a billion, I think, or more. Yeah. What's been interesting from their business model, at least from a customer's perspective, is like they came out with their bars, probably like I'm guessing three flavors of their bars made the whole thing, which is like the cookie dough, cookies and cream. I'm trying to think of other flavor that was like significant. And then all the other ones are kind of like, eh, okay. And then they made a lot of other bars and then they tried all these other products and it only feels like their bars and maybe now their their cookies. The protein cookies have really been their uh, kind of bigger, you know, 80, 20 of their products. It's fascinating with like, you know, a food product, like how do you consider the, you know, the, the opportunity costs? There's something you also want to consider, right? So one of our biggest focuses in any CPG brand, most likely is going to be retail. So when you walk into a retail store, there's a reason you buy a Quest bar a lot of times. That's because you look at the shelf and they've got 12 different boxes lined up, right? So all of that shelf space is grabbing your attention. So if you're a company and you only have two SKUs, even if those two SKUs taste better, what a customer's thinking, what's going through their head is you're lined up next to Quest and they see 12. And so that must be better just because there's more bars there. So you have to support your branding with the number of SKUs you have at retail shelf space. So that's really important. Say you're going to have five different SKUs and you know two of those might be your absolute home run. In terms of overall shelf space, I still think it's important to support the brand that way. And how have you guys thought about adding new flavors versus doing like new product lines? 
So we're doing both. The big thing we're doing right now is starting February is when we're going national. So we wanted to be hyper-focused. So companies based out of Los Angeles, we thought that was the best demographic in terms of consumers who'd be adopted to that, ones who are into the keto space looking to eat healthy. Uh, so that was our core focus. But now with Sprouts going to 350 plus their stores, we definitely know we need to launch some new flavors and then some also new products in general. So what we're going to be doing is just going with our first two home run SKUs to start, which is caramel, sea salt, cocoa. And then in Q2, we're going to be launching our cookie dough as well. And then we do have other flavors in the pipeline, along with some new products we're hoping for Q3 or Q4. That's like kind of, a, I think, an always challenging for every business, whether you're a software company or whether you're like a physical product or even probably you know restaurants or e-commerce stores of all sorts. It's like, do we just focus on this one product? Like we were talking about at AppSumo, which is of the products we're promoting, how much bigger is the audience for that product versus like, are there more products we need to be throwing in the mix to actually expand the amount of customers available? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a great and difficult question at all times, whatever business you're in, because you're always trying to figure out to stay ahead of the curve, both in new products, new flavors, but then also capturing the customers that you could have with current products. I think it's something that you, that you always got to test. And if you refine and you can get those products out a little bit quicker and a little bit cheaper, it's going to be easier for you to differentiate if you want to stick just with those core products or if your customers like you bring in new products and you can quickly adopt them. So how did you guys think through that? How did you guys make that decision? I think that's one of the things where like, I'm just curious to learn how you guys thought about that. It's probably just good, different personalities. I think in certain businesses, like you never want to hire for yourself, right? So, so myself, Joe, uh, another guy on our team, Kevin, we all think differently, more of an investor standpoint, right? Like I want to think back about what could destroy us, what could be catastrophic losses, how do we plan for potential failures, pitfalls, all of those things. And then you have Joe come in, who's the optimist. He's the one really out there in the field doing sales. So he brings all those feedback. And we really bounce ideas off of each other and really play devil's advocate a lot because we always want to test and iterate on new ideas. So we're thinking through them. So it might be an hour plus long strategy session where we're talking through all of our different ideas. Even if they bring up a good idea, you always want to poke holes in that and figure out ways and flaws in our thinking. And then once we do that enough times, then we can even go back to call it more of the marketing people on our team and even just get out with our customers and ask them potential feedback. So you guys come up with this bar. Obviously, I think one of the challenges that anyone who's creating a food product or software product or physical product, how do you guys get the first customers? I honestly think that can be a differentiator in any business, right? A lot of people are like, oh yeah, I created this cool product and you might have a really good idea and a really interesting product. But most of the people really aren't willing to get out there at all the farmers markets, all the stores be relentless. So like there's a reason that we're able to get some of these really cool, we'll call it Bristol-Meyer and Erewhon out there in Southern California right now and be one of the best selling bars they have so early on. And that's because we're relentless in store. So our focus was SoCal. And all we were going to do was attack every single door we had placement in to make sure that every single time a buyer in that store, a potential customer came through that store, they were always seeing us. And that's really important that you keep showing up because not only do you get attention at the store level from the buyers, from just even even the employees in the store and then those rabid fans that are always in those stores buying, they keep seeing you over and over again. So you familiarize yourself with that. And then customer feedback is really important at that level as well. So they come become our, our best insights at that same time. So it really is about just getting out there, hustling. You were even doing different things at the same time. Like you have those subscription services, so-called keto boxes, where they put a variation of different products in there. 
Well, we figured out that you could essentially get our cost of goods covered. So it was almost free marketing to get in some of these keto boxes. So we were just looking at every single potential opportunity like that, just leveraging our different connections. Uh, So I come from a sports background. So I was connected with, call it multiple pro athletes, things of that nature. So then just getting in at different locker rooms, things of that nature certainly helped out. And then just some of the other people we brought on our team originally. So one of the early investors in the company as well, Jordan DeSico, he's one of the brothers of Key2 Super Coffee. Uh, so they just finished 200 million plus valuation. They're the fastest growing bottle coffee beverage in the U.S. So having guys like that in terms of key distribution really help after you set those initial sales. Taking us step back. So you guys had people in your network from you that you sold to the boxes I like. So you basically just broke even to get people awareness. How did you guys initially get in the stores? You're just showing up. Each store is going to be a little bit different. So we're an example, Whole Foods, which we're not in yet. We're hoping uh, later this year we'll deploy in there. And so what they have is they have a forger program. So there's someone call it who, so in Austin, Texas, where you're at, there's probably one local forger who goes out and tries to discover new brands in the market, maybe people who have created companies right there in Austin, and they bring them in stores. So that's one way. So you find out who that person is. You make sure you get some FaceTime. Other stores, you can literally just walk in and say, hey, can I talk to the manager? And the manager might be responsible for making that call. So they like your product. They like you. I think that's one of the key differentiators, though. A lot of people, they just don't want to spend that additional time where they might drop off a box of their bars and just hope that people follow up. We were relentless in the follow-up. We made sure that we were there every single day, just getting that FaceTime, that attention, just so each time they think about, hey, we have got a shelf space that we can bring in the new product. Who are we going to bring in? Oh, those MCT people are always here. Maybe we should try them. So to get in the store, you basically just bugging their store purchaser? I wouldn't say bugging. We were lucky that early on, a lot of the buyers and the managers of stores really enjoy the product. So that certainly helps. And a good thing too, the bars are keto-friendly and keto lifestyle is very popular right now. So it really resonated with a lot of these buyers and a lot of these managers who are already using that diet. And then when you guys got the bars in the store, it sounded like you just kept going to the store to get people to, to buy them or how'd you guys push it more? If you go into a Whole Foods in Austin, you're gonna see people sampling, doing demos. Uh, we were making sure we were doing that. And then it's also really important just to continue those relationships with those people. So when you're walking through a store, you'll see certain end caps with certain displays. Usually those cost X amount of dollars per month, and then you've got to keep restocking. It's really hard to get those, but a lot of times relationships can go a long way. And if you're selling well initially, they'll be more likely to give you those end caps, other better displays. And the better display you have in store, the more likely a customer is to try it. So yeah, both with demoing, being in the actual store, handing out samples to customers, and then working hard to get those end caps, get those additional displays really goes a long way. Where are you guys at in terms of business volume for these bars? Well, so we'll call it December. We did right around 50K. So this is obviously going to change a lot coming this year. Just with the 400 plus stores we'll be in starting next month, that's going to be a huge boost. Another thing is we're really trying to figure out e-commerce. So we're just moved to a whole new digital team. Uh, We just think we kind of grew out of the ones we were with. Also, Amazon is going to be picking up for us since we basically got on there in the last two months. So we've got basically three tiers. We've got retail got our direct consumer on Shopify, and then we also have our Amazon account. What's the breakout between those sales? Right now, it'll be about, so say out of 50K, it was 30K retail, about 15 direct consumer, and the remainder would be on Amazon. So it's like 30, 30, 30? No, it would be 60, 25, or 60, 2010. On 60 where? 2010. Yeah, where's the 60%? Uh, Retail. That's our focus. Oh, interesting. How the margins compare between retail, Amazon, and then direct? Great question because you know that it's obviously going to be worse. It's going to be way better direct to consumer. 
We think in terms of growing brand identity, brand awareness, and having support, retail will continue to be, for the immediate future, the most important thing in terms of building that brand. We are putting a lot of effort in growing direct-to-consumer, believing that's going to be a huge focus of ours moving forward. Well, I wonder if the retail is kind of like a gateway drug. To get the two things I was thinking about is like retail, it's like even if you give it away almost at retail just to get more people like you're doing with the keto boxes. Well, the second thing I wonder is niche is always better, right? I think everyone hears that, but then doing that is hard. So I was like, I wonder how big the keto market of consumers is. Because what was interesting is I gave my stepdad a bar and he's not keto at all. I don't even know if he, he knows what that is, but he's like, oh, this is a good tasting bar. So we're completely aligned. So it's great that we do align with keto. I actually think our low sugar element and no added sugar alcohols is our most important leverage point. So the majority of the bars, even when you pick them up on store, you'd be surprised how much sugar is actually in them. So I think that's our major focus moving forward. Just to get more keto people or non-keto people? So I think it actually applies more to non-keto people. But I think you're saying that you think keto is a great niche. Go after that. And I actually think that we can find more differentiation in some other spots. Say keto is just a trend that trickles out in 2020, right? We don't want to build an entire brand built on keto. Why is that? Just in case that fad kind of goes away? Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's the most important element of our bar. Like keto is great. It's an excellent diet. A lot of people really abide by it and practice is very hard to stick with for most people. So I think there's some other differentiators in terms of what we're doing with adding other superfood elements going into this uh, in the future. And then just that low sugar element. Anyone, no matter what diet you're in, I've never found a diet that says you should have high sugar. How do you differentiate your bars if other people can just copy them from the same manufacturer? It's a great question. What we were talking about at retail, right? I mean, anyone could essentially stamp this bar, but it's very hard to show up to build the number of different brand ambassadors that we built, different sampler demo reps that we have. Launching next month, we're going to have 80 demo reps nationally. And so it's very hard to scale that, especially for a young brand. Uh, We've been able to successfully do that rather quickly, and that's just hard to execute on. How do you guys find those people? So when someone sets up at, call it Whole Foods, for an actual demo, there's really cool backend software. They can do it all from an app where they're taking pictures of their display. We can track all the results. We can see sales growth. We can see velocity at stores, all of those different things. So there's a whole network now of these people across the country that are capable. But it's just kind of a a long vetting process. Who understands our market? Who understands low sugar, keto, target demographics, all of those things. And then we kind of build that team out. So it's almost... Like you're picking up a, an additional employee each time uh, because we put a lot of trust and a lot of time building that relationship. So when someone's demoing our bar in store, they truly understand the product. So we have a, a dedicated person who handles all that essentially. Have you guys had a lot of success with the influencer stuff? I feel like with Shopify and e-commerce now, that's kind of like one of the the main marketing levers. It's one of those things that you've just seen explode over the last couple of years. The problem is you have all of these people who aren't getting great return on ads. They're, hey, I'm going to charge you $1,000 for me to post. And they're just not great return. We've seen it occasionally that we have a certain influencer with a great market who really likes what they post and, and usually tends to buy. But overall, it's hasn't been the most successful thing we've seen. Have you seen that across some other brands and products that influencers have really been an amazing return on ad spend? I haven't seen that many products. It's like maybe 100 or so, give or take. It depends on the brand. I think the the formula that works is either A, if the influencer is the owner of the brand or Mm -hmm. has like a piece of the brand. So if you look at like Nick Bear from Bear Performance Nutrition, awesome guy, he created his own products and he's been an influencer on YouTube. So that made it easier for him to distribute. That's why I was curious to ask how well it's working. Sounds like not great. Because I think people here like do influence marketing and just magically works. I think the formula that has worked historically for me, and I, I think pretty much will always work in time is how do you work with like tier three influencers, 
right? So how do you work with these influencers who are not mainstream, but have like a small, like super dedicated following that paying them anything or giving them free anything is significant? Yeah, you're spot on with that. So in terms of, yeah, we'll call them just tier three. So we do have, we have about, about 120 of them across the country. And so I almost just view them as the, the woman down the street and she's got her little cult following of people. It's kind of tough to call that specific influencer marketing. But yeah, we have put more effort in that than paying someone $1,000 to do one post. But that's almost just more referral based, I feel like. Dude, I have like a shady ass one. I we were launching Meet Fam, you know, which is our email tool for Shopify stores, and we've you know we've actually made it almost all free, so people can use it to do their whole email marketing. And I emailed this like YouTuber, and I was like, "Yo, dog," because you know they're young kids now, and I have to say, "Dog" a lot. Can you go use the product and just make like an unboxing video of the software, and I'll and I'll give you a thousand bucks to do it. If you don't like it, you don't have to put out the video or anything. Just like at least go give it a shot. And he was you know one of the smaller Shopify YouTubers. So I sent him the money. I was like, look, I'll just trust you. I'm going to send you the money. He ended up not doing anything. He didn't even install the app. A lot of the stuff, you know, you build a relationship. You think it's over the long term. And so it was interesting to have that experience with someone like that. Yeah, I'd love to get your take on, on this as a whole, where I was talking about this with someone earlier today, just digital marketing, marketing. It seems like so many of these little companies and boutiques have popped up that, hey, we'll do your marketing for you and we'll do your influencer marketing and digital marketing. And so many times it's just someone who slaps a name of their company, puts a website up and are basically just have no experience whatsoever. So I think as a young CPG brand, it's really hard to differentiate because it's going to be very tough to be able to afford some of those great marketing companies if you're going to outsource it. And then you see all of these ones just kind of taking advantage of you, which you kind of just saw with that brand ambassador or influencer marketing space. Let's talk about moving forward with your guys' marketing. So you guys hit 50,000. What was like the range of total revenue in 2019? We'll just call we launched the bars in June. So six months, uh, right around 200K. Awesome. I think when people are starting businesses, a lot of the listeners and people on the show are starting their own business or getting it going. And they're like, I'm not making a million dollars the first month. And it's like, I know I feel like that way myself. The fact that you guys are even doing 200K is awesome. No, it's an incredible perspective and one that like we've got to even think about as a brand and remember what it takes to get that next level. You're not going to go from day one to, to 2 million in sales. But the roadmap that we've created and if we continue to execute the way we're executing, we understand what that looks like when you play that long-term game and even three years, what that could look like in terms of stores. I mean, we started and stayed hyper-focused. I mean, literally on our big board was just own LA. And that's what we were going to do. It was going to be all of those mom and pop shops in Los Angeles. We knew the amount of people in that market could support and getting those small little sales. You have to view each one of those as a win. So each time you get a a new store. Uh, So don't think you're just going to do this overnight. We understand what it's going to take in the long term. For the people starting up that want to do a new, you know, now creating an e-commerce store is like the the new blog. You know, what would be the one or two marketing things for just getting going? Would you say sell it sell to your network? It's you know going to your friends and such. What would you do again if you had the bars right now? Absolutely, the immediate network is going to be the most important thing, right? And you can even start as small as just your family. You'd be surprised how quickly that can scale out, especially to people who want to help you out and connect you with the right resources. So you were even like, how do you guys get into certain stores early on? And just working with our immediate network, hey, actually, I know someone who owns this store. And this is actually one of the ways we got into a big grocery store is one of the in-store shelf stockers, essentially. One of their parents were a higher up at another retail chain and loved our product. So called us up just because of that. So it literally is just one of those network effects things, starting with your immediate network. But you also have to just get out there once you've connected with the network and try to sell 
show up at different places, get in face, talk to your customers. All those little things are going to be a home run for you. One of the things we did early on is so Joe Christensen, our CEO, he essentially was writing handwritten notes in every single order that went out those first six months. And it was really, really hard to scale and something that you might look back on and be like, why were you wasting all that time doing that? But the amount of personal emails, phone calls we got from customers who were like, hey, that's the type of service we never see out of a CPG brand. And you just got lifelong fans because of that. So even little things like that started to just compile up because of that just created some really good early on fans that just kept building. We're talking about marketing at AppSumo.com, the, I'm guessing you know the site, and then also Meet Fam, which is one of our newer products. I've kind of had two like almost opposing thoughts. So with Meet Fam as it's just getting going, I think we have about 500 different customers using it. And you know, I was talking with Sean and, and thinking about it, which is just, it's literally just like one-on-one marketing. You know, I think a lot of times with marketing and growing a business, we're like, how do I get all these people to do all this stuff? It's like, well, why don't we just go focus on one new customer even per day? And at the end of the day, that's 30 a month if you just get one a day. And then at the end of the year, you know, you have, you know, time 50 weeks, you have 1500 customers. Whereas with AppSumo, I'm actually thinking the opposite, which is like, how do we move that business to the next level? How do we do 10x marketing activities where it has that kind of core audience? And so what's the way to make that a 10x type of size? So I don't know if there's a right or wrong way, just kind of different approaches uh, of solving it. I almost want to hear you talk through that 10x growth. I'd love to just like hear you distill down what you're thinking that through. Yeah. I mean, most of my stuff doesn't work. And I think that's something I have to remind myself a lot of times because I think everything should just work immediately. And when it fails, I'm like, okay, good. It means I'm trying something new. I think with AppSumo, there's two ways of approaching our marketing, which is just kind of like micro improvements. So how do we do these like five, 10% bumps? So like, how do we tweak our ads a little bit more? How do we get our affiliate program a little bit more optimized? Maybe how do we improve our email marketing, like reduce an email, change the layout of an email, add an email. Most of those at the end of the year are going to be great, but they're going to be like 10% improvements. And so the way that we're thinking about it is, all right, well, what's our goal, right? I think with all the marketing activities and business activities for AppSumo, it's how many active customers are we trying to have by the end of the year? So someone who's bought within 120 days. So then that gives us kind of like our destination and then it's working backwards. And so the 10x approach, the way we're considering it is either A, how do we expand our product offering? So exactly what you're talking about with physical, we're thinking digital, which is our customers are like you, Sean, and and the listeners, which is we have a small business or I'm starting a small business. How do I get my business bigger? Right? I want it to be bigger either with software or knowledge. No one needs more tools. They just want solutions. And so it's like, all right, do we need to expand the breadth of these products? So like maybe do Mac products or maybe doing digital products or WordPress products, not digital, but like books and so forth. So we're kind of considering, is it a product skew or with the products we already have available that are in the store, which are great, have we reached the maximum audience? If not, what are kind of larger opportunities around potentially 10xing? That's not really the size that we're trying to aim for, but like bigger changes to grow that active customer number. And that, that customer number is a function of, all right, well, how many people come to the site? How many people join the email list? How many people buy? And then how many people come back and buy within the 120 days that we're targeting? I think with business, one thing that we've talked a lot about in our company is whatever you focus on, you'll most likely achieve. The question is, what do you really focus on? I really liked what you said earlier, which was own LA. I think that's like such a strong statement from you guys, which is like, hey, let's just get our bars to own LA. And then we can worry about somewhere else. That is a great approach. And that's a great focus. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think so often, especially in this, this social media age where we always see everyone doing the most amazing things and, and like on the best vacations, it's the same thing from brands, right? It's like, look at us, we're this massive brand. But you have to understand being a small business, you can't just launch and just be everything to everyone right off the bat. 
we just continually shoot down some potential ideas and say no to certain opportunities because it's going to stretch us too thin and it's not going to let us execute the way we know we have to if we want to be around in 10 years. Most businesses like yours have a plan. And because we were texting, that's the reason I wanted to bring you on, which was like, hey, we're not growing as fast as we'd like or we want to grow faster and potentially talk about it with you. Honestly, I don't know all the answers. I just try a lot of stuff and eventually something works. And maybe that's what I'm good at, which is just trying a bunch of things. So for you guys, like what is your goal this year around the growth? And then what are some of the plans you guys have or and then the uncertainties with that? So if we execute in terms of the stores we're going to be in and then where we think we're going to grow both direct to consumer and then Amazon, we will finish uh, right over 2 million this year just based on the stores we'll be in. And that'll be about 400 nationally. Uh, so that is a huge jump. So there's multiple things there, right? Both in terms of funding to be able to sustain that because we want to be able to grow and not just immediately pour everything into pockets. You got to obviously add more fuel to that fire. And then also having the staff to support that continued growth, right? It's great that we're launching Sprouts next month in 350 plus stores. But if we just rest on our laurels there, then we're not going to be able to get into all those and other amazing retailers across the country. Hold on. So take a step back. So your goal is to get to 2 million this year? Am I hearing Correct. You? What's your guys' plan to do that? Sometimes I'm curious, like if you guys didn't do anything, let's say you guys just went on vacation for the rest of the year. Like where do you think you'd be at the end of the year? Most likely not incredibly far off of that based on what we're expecting with the growth we've seen online, Amazon, what we're going to be have setting up. And one of the biggest things that's kind of happening is just our distribution centers. And that kind of transpired because of Sprouts uh, going to natural grocery distributors such as Kahi and then also another one, UNFI. And what that does is that opens up nationally to all of these other regional chains that we haven't even had access or the ability to get into. Where all of a sudden, when we're in with these distributors now, all of these chains are automatically able to bring us in that we just didn't have access to in the past. So in terms of growing there, that also helps tremendously looking forward to the future. Is that just a distributor network that you guys are a part of? Mm -hmm. And so they'll basically just getting in the stores automatically, you guys think you'll hit the number? Yeah, that's not even adding too many stores. So what's the issue then? Sounds like you guys are on track. Obviously, like we talk a lot about just direct consumer, how we can do better online. Like we, I just talked about, we're switching over to this new digital company uh, that's just going to ramp up our email marketing, all of those different things. We just think we haven't executed on that well. We know the customers really like our product. We know at retail, we're absolutely crushing it and doing very well. And we're really thankful for the hard work that we've put in to be able to make that happen. But we just think there's so much opportunity for us to grow online. And we're seeing that growth. Uh, we just think we can do it even faster and scale quicker if we wanted to. What's the target around that? And what's the plan with it? We have very little ad spend, call it. 2K ad spend online in the last month. And we've seen just, just call it 20K just on that 2K ad spend. So we know if we ramp up and put more into that and have a digital team that is able to keep and capable of tracking those metrics a little bit better, uh, we just think we can execute on that much better. All right, well, hold on. Come back to my text message. So we t we're texting, we're sexting, dog. And you're like, hey, there's, you know, we're not growing the way we want or we want to grow faster online. I guess what are the questions you guys have or the uncertainties you have? just part of ways with our the group we are using and we're literally launching tomorrow with our new group they also handle uh, another one of the companies that are involved with i mentioned it, the super coffee company they handle them they 10x their e-commerce year over year for the past couple of years so we're moving with them uh, they're cpg specific uh, they understand all those metrics just with the amazon growth what we're going to be able to do there we're going to be amazon prime we're going to be part of their network uh, which is just going to boost everything we have on our page. Maybe that that's something to kind of just dig on. 
Because look, I don't know all the answers. Frankly, I'm just getting to learn about how to run a bar company, which I find interesting. I met a coffee company a few weeks ago in Austin called Texas Coffee Traders. And I love these guys. They've been around since the 1980s. The dude's super old school, drives a Miata, which of course I love. He's older, which I love. He's, you know, 60s. And he's like, look, man, all these kids are online. I'm offline. I go in person. I call them. I deliver in person. I make a lot of money. I live my life. This guy loves coffee. This guy's just loving it. I think the the takeaway for me is that I think we read articles or we see other stores and we see other people doing it. And we're like, well, I guess I got to do this online thing too. But I think there's something there in your approach which is actually interesting, which is like, maybe it's not even as worth to put as much energy around the online and just focus it on the offline stuff, which you probably have less, comp- somewhat less competition and easier to have a kind of more dominant strategy. Yeah. You brought this up earlier that the retail is almost a way to get them into our ecosystem where they might be at the store, they try our bar and they purchase a box of bars, but they're just more accustomed to buying things online later. So it's a great entryway to get them part of our product uh, or get them to experience our product and then they go back and order online. So we do think there is an important opportunity there, but we still remember that retail is our main focus and our key focus. We just think there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of our customers want that online easy access to our product. Maybe with the agency, what was missing with this first agency? I mean, so many times when, say, they're creating a, an ad, say we're having a, a Black Friday sale, and the metrics they put in aren't great to start. And then as we're going through the weekend, testing, reiterating, they're not really changing the metrics properly. And then they might stumble into a demographic that starts buying well, and then just eliminate all other potential graphics. So say women over 55 start buying the bars like crazy. Well, instead of being able to track multiple metrics, call it men at 25 plus who are into keto as well, they would only focus on one demographic. Uh, so I think that hurt us getting in front of some other people. Also, email capturing. I uh, just weren't doing a great job building our email list because we were having some good engagement with that. And just even just the copy going into that, all of those little things just really weren't up to the standard we were hoping for. So they weren't as aggressive as you guys wanted? I think it's both aggression and then just, I mean, overall IQ, right? Like you can have a digital agency, but if you don't truly understand all the backend metrics, I'm not saying I do, I don't. This is why we, we have these people. Luckily, within our network, once again, some people who are very good at this work full time for other companies and they checked all of our back end stuff and were like, yeah, you guys really aren't doing a very good job at this whatsoever. So that's how we, we switched over to this new one. How do you know when it's time to switch? <laughs> so you, you want to ask about some like negatives of a small company, right? That's a multi-tiered problem, right? Because you already have the least amount of friction using someone you guys are already set up and running. So if you're going to start with someone new, you've got to break off that existing relationship. You've got to get a new team up and running. You've got to get them understanding your product, your brand, your systems. Uh, So that's just a hard thing to do and one we always resist. And I think we resisted a little bit too long, hoping that with bringing some outside help, that group could finally get their act together and figure it out. But you finally just reach that breaking point. And it's just like, all right, if we keep going the way we're going, we clearly won't achieve the goals we're hoping to get. And when I think you find yourself in that position, then it's a very obvious answer. I wish we'd made this answer a little bit sooner, but I think now that we're doing it, we're still we're absolutely going to be fine with that. But it's just kind of once you know that you can't reach what you want to reach with the things that you have in place, that's really when it's time for a change. It is interesting, especially as you get older. Sometimes I'm like, change gets harder, right? You're just like, ah, I'm used to this. This is like, I'm good with this. What things with marketing on this stuff has not been working for you guys? It was a lot around digital. Like I mentioned at retail, we've been very successful in-store demos, marketing. I think that's one of our stronger things. But just online, even just our overall ads, I just don't think they were that appealing. They weren't capturing people in. 
I mean, I don't want to pretend like I know all the back ends of digital, but it was we were clearly seeing that we just weren't getting the customer engagement we should be getting. And then with email marketing, it sounds like you guys haven't done a lot of that. How's that been for a revenue percentage? So a very small component, and that's one of the things we're most excited about, uh, even just email captures in the last two weeks, we were able to onboard this new group two weeks ago for emails. So just capturing those. And then, I mean, you understand the importance of building that email list. We have good sales from that group uh, once they are opting into our emails. So just that constant communication is going to be key for us in 2020. How often are you guys emailing people? The old group would do it. If, even times it would be like once a month where they were just putting no priority to that whatsoever. Uh, so now this is going to switch and it's still not going to be where we want it to start out, but call it once a week right now and hopefully ramping that up more and more. How do you guys figure out the balance with the agency of how much you do versus how much they do? And then like how much control you guys have over it? So we're starting a new relationship. Basically, it's going on right now. I think one of the key things is when you can reiterate your message and what your brand is all about and allow that group to truly understand that and feel that, that they almost feel part of that team just as much as any other employee. And that makes people more able to execute on your behalf better. Say we outsourced our digital agency and it was basically just like a one-time initiation setup call. Hey, this is what we're looking for. This is what we hope you guys execute on. That's way different than bringing them in on a, a demo drive with you, talking, keeping that communication more and more open, just so they truly understand what you're trying to accomplish with your brand. I think a lot of companies will just try to replicate what they've done with other brands because they don't understand the brands they're working with enough. So from the start, if you make them understand your brand more, who your customer is, what it's like to be a part of your brand, I think that helps them tell your story better. Uh, and creates less friction. What it sounds like is just getting aligned so that you guys are on the same page of how you want to be talking about the business. Yeah, I just overcomplicated it. No, not necessarily. <laughs> do you guys give them goals like, hey, here's the ROI we want or here's the ad spend we want? Like, how do you guys work through that? Yeah, no, no, we, we have clear metric breakdown in terms of what we're going to spend, where we're looking to grow, all of those metrics we break down. And, and I mean, that's also part of the communication we have with them, right? Luckily, we, we build a network with a lot of other CPD brands. So we understand what some of those metrics should be and then work back with the ad team to make sure that happens. All right. So it sounds like you, did, you didn't actually have any questions for me. So I want to know what you're seeing online from a CPG brand, things that we can do differently. So random example, we haven't experimented yet with SMS text marketing, but I know a lot of these have 90% click rates. So I don't know if you've done anything like that. What are best practices around that? What have you guys seen? What have you guys tried? We haven't implemented it yet at all. We've just seen in other CPG brands, some people are getting 90% open rates on the text message ads. And it seems like purchasing's higher. We're wondering if you've seen this with any brands that you've worked with, and is this something we really should be considering, or is that shouldn't be our core focus right now? Well, I think the the thing I like to start with, at least the marketing, is like, what is your goal? I feel like for you guys, even just like my guess, is that you guys just have so much low-hanging fruit on like email marketing. Like I went to your site, there's not really an email capture. If you guys aren't sending an email at least once a week, I think with a lot of products or brands like, oh, I don't know what to email. Just It doesn't have to be a sales email each week. Like you guys could email your workouts, you could email lifestyle, you could email photos of your customers. So that's a great question. That's a, an internal battle we have. So do you think our customers actually want to know about those things? What workouts to do, what type of diet to do? Or is it like, hey, I just want to know when I'm getting 15% off the bar? What do you think? When I get that annoying email, it just takes one and I'm, I'm unsubscribing. I'm a bad test case for this because I, I think I'm a lot, I'm different than a lot of consumers. So I'm very nervous about putting out workouts and even trendy type things because I'm like, 
If I saw that, I'd immediately opt out of this email. What emails do you look forward to getting? Around product specific? From businesses or individuals, yeah. Short, more concise with just immediately I know exactly what they're doing. Hey, here's this product, 50% off if you want it, great. Even in terms of newsletter, someone like, do you see James Clear's newsletter? It's like a three, two, one. It's like two sentences for each thing as opposed to some long article. He might link to a long article so I can go back and read it later. But the problem is so many of these brands are trying to tell this complete story about this person and they did this diet and they did this exercise. And I just don't have time to read through that entire thing just to get to the product discount. So I just want something more concise. I think that ultimately with people or brands or any of that stuff, people want to, how I feel about it, I think people want to feel connected to someone. I think you can connect to people more than you do to a brand. Obviously, people have brands like Supreme or some of the other brands. I think at the end of the day, if stuff is interesting and valuable to someone, they'll want to hear from you more often. So do you think it would make more sense then to have someone internally essentially become the voice of the brand? I think it's always helpful. I mean, if you look at AppSumo in our business, there's you know me as someone who's more external that talks a lot or puts myself out there more than the rest of the business. And I think people are like, oh, I like Noah. What else is he working on that I can connect with? I think that's one component. But I think the second component, even if it's you know a business that doesn't want to be a brand, right? Like you can also argue if a business doesn't want to have an individual personality, you can go have ambassadors, which are, you know, you can get micro influencers. I think the second component that I was just trying to highlight is, is for communication with customers. I think most businesses do two things incorrectly. They under communicate to their customers and then they over deliver shitty content or shitty communication. I think those are the, the two components that I've observed, especially, I mean, email marketing is kind of our bread and butter. And so specifically around that, it's that they're sending emails, but it's like what you said about the product really early on. When we taste the first version of the product, it tastes like shit, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think that's part one. And then secondly, if you have something that doesn't taste like shit, you could probably tell people about it. Like, hey, here's a really good tasting thing. I think you should eat it. For example, like the with Dork and okdork.com, we're experimenting doing weekly emails for this year. And the email that we were sending out yesterday I was like, yo, this email sucks. Like, I don't want to receive it. And then so we spent a few more hours like tweaking that email, rewriting the email. It's like, oh yeah, I would love to learn this stuff. And most e-commerce friends, I would say almost 90% don't email often enough. And the way that we've kind of looked at it is how do you turn your emails either A into educational, like, hey, here's fitness things, here's lifestyle things, here's travel things that are just beneficial. Or B, how do you make it more of like a catalog where it's kind of similar to Instagram in the sense where you're just emailing your Instagram photos, which actually works amazingly well. We've tested a lot of that. Have you checked out MeetFam? Mm -hmm. It's free to use. So go look at it, meetfam.com. And basically what we've done is like studied all the top e-commerce stores and all of our top customers. And then we've made software that automatically creates all the emails and then helps you send two emails a week if you want to for free. So we were talking about, do you want to hear from that specific person in the brand? Do they want to be part of that brand? What happens if we have some different demographics, meaning we have a strong contingency of 55 plus females who love our product and continually rebuy, but then we also have younger demographic. So telling the same story is going to be difficult. So then how would you differentiate that? Well, it sounds like you should just at least pick one audience to speak to. I think especially too early on, businesses are trying to segment. Like we've done so much segmentation over the 10 years of our business. Yes, there's some where like if people have bought versus non-buyers, that's a pretty big group, right? You don't want to be bugging buyers with stuff if they've already been buying, right? Just like, hey, it's a reminder to go buy again. And non-buyers, you got to activate them, right? Like, hey, I want you to try this out. So there's a lot of different, it's kind of different communication. But I'd say in general, I would always encourage people to do less segmentation, more simplification, and just pick an audience to be like, all right, this is the audience I'm going to do and simplify your, your segmentation. Is simplification just like one of the core staples you continually circle back to across you, the entire business? 
I don't know if it's simplification. There's an analogy Keith Cunningham said, which I really liked in his book, Road Less Stupid, which is a great book, is that if you look at an airplane, have you ever looked at an airplane cockpit? Yeah, I mean, I've been in one. I don't know how well I've studied it, but I don't know how granular this question is going to get. But yes, I've, I've been in the cockpit. <laughs> and then how many fucking buttons are there? Call it, I don't know, 250? It's complicated. And maybe they could have a button that's like, all right, go. And then it just takes you to the destination. But the reality is, is that as things become more larger, things get more complicated. That's always kind of a challenge with businesses. How do you keep things relatively simple? But sometimes also it needs more levers because you're tracking altitude and all this other shit as your business is taking off. It's a similar analogy I resonate with. So I think yeah. for you guys, it's more, are you emailing twice a week with your business? No. Is this tying to a email revenue goal more importantly? And is that revenue goal tying then to your overall marketing revenue goal or your business revenue goal? I think that's kind of the way that I've liked to structure it. I think the balance that we're frankly working through in our company is the 80-20 of that. And I hate the 80-20 principle. I think it's one of the worst principles there is because it's the one that everyone knows and, and none of us do. And the reality is, is that with most of the stuff, it's, you know, even for you guys, if you're like, hey, we want this much revenue online. Honestly, you guys should just be sending, start with the one email a week and just kind of get the habit built and then figuring out what the audience is responding to. And then from there, you can get all fancy and technical and build a bunch more levers. But I would start out with, you know, a few switches and then you can build your cockpit. Yeah. I mean, you bring up such a great point there is that like, just try that out and do it. And I think we almost overthink it. We're like, we're going to lose the email subscribers we already have. But I think if we don't start doing these other methods you're talking about, we never build that list, the list that we could. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, I don't know if anyone's like, yeah, I want more email today, right? Like no one's waking up thinking they want more email. But I think the opposite is actually more interesting for me, which is which emails today am I actually looking forward to? Right? So what so are those? I would say Tim Ferriss, like Tim has emails that like almost every time there's like something in there that I didn't know about. And I think it's actually the uniqueness that's more relevant. Like his podcast, I'm going to see it, but it's like a product or a book. I don't really look at his Instagram stuff. I think that's really good. Mr. Spoils, I just emailed out about that today. I think that's always great. Ryan Holiday's newsletter, it's books that I, can, that I haven't heard of before. That one I look forward to. I think a lot of us now are really aggressive and unsubscribing from a lot of things. I don't think that, I think that's become more mainstream almost. Like people have found the unsubscribe button. And so with that being the case, it's like, all right, well, how do I be more valuable as an individual or as a business so that if I'm communicating with people, they're like, oh shit, I didn't get to see your email this week. Like that is the goal. That is to me, at least the way that we've looked at it with our businesses is like, how do you create this expectation where if you don't send it, people are asking you for it. And it can be with bars. A lot of times in business, I look at who's doing well within our category. And then I look at other categories to learn from. I think where Quest actually got a lot of their traction, they gave out a shit ton of free samples. They sponsored a bunch of fucking people really early on. And I think the, the other thing that Quest did was that like they did all these interviews and content and recipes that wasn't really just about Quest. It was just like, oh, this is great information that I want. Oh, what's Quest? Within a category of people, they were kind of more the fitness group. And so I think there's definitely something like that for you guys. I'd love to get your perspective. So one of our growth markets is Texas, like specifically down there. What do you think good CPG brands do well? Dude, I think Texas is the capital of CPG, for real. Like there's so many CPG products that have come out of here, Tacovas, Suaves, Tito's Vodka, Betty Vodka. Like there's a lot of these different brands that have succeeded well. I don't know if a lot of them actually try to build really strongholds in Texas and then from there become really successful. The only one I can think of is Waterloo. Have you had Waterloo sparkling water? No, I haven't. Well, I think where a few of them have done well, which is interesting, is like Waterloo, Topo Chico, Whataburger, Real Ale. I think those brands have done really well because like they literally like we only sell to Texas. 
right? So I don't know for you guys, I would actually wonder how do you get even more ingrained in LA? Like even put that on your bars, just to, to go more extreme, like these brands were like, we only sell in Texas. And then that was for years until finally they were like, all right, now we'll finally let other people like you can get Topo Chico now in California. I literally thought like it's my pride. I was in the uh, the Tableau DC offices about a month ago, and they have it in their company fridge. <laughs> so it's everywhere now. It's everywhere now. But I mean, for yeah. a long time, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, man, I can only get this kind of like, it's almost special. Like In-N-Out was a California thing for years. I'm not as good about this, and I don't have as much experience, but it's like, how do you control the product and the quantity available to the product? And then from there, make that a way of a marketing activity. I guess how hyper niche would you get? So random example, like LA, some amazing artists, things like that. Do you almost get some really cool local artists to design the the packaging and then only have it distributed right there in LA? Are, are you even meaning that specific? I think the hard part with business, at least that in my experiences, is that we're greedy people. And like when we ask people about business, it's like, well, how much do you want? The answer is always more. I don't know the answer is the first part. But I think there is something there. And this is what I was talking about with AppSumo is that how much juice is left in the squeeze? Meaning like how much have you really owned LA? And the answer is probably you're at 5%. No, not even. Exactly. Of keto yeah. people or of the fitness group or whatever you you know measure your market by, it's probably a lot fucking smaller than you think. The reality is, is like you probably have 95% more that you can then lock in before you even start considering kind of other markets. I try to think about is like, let's say I have the weekly OK Dork newsletter. What makes me special? What is something that I have that others don't? Or what is something I can talk about that others won't? And for a lot of it, it's probably marketing. I'm not going to be a better writer than Ryan Holiday. I'm not going to like quote research like James, you know, or take pretty pictures. I just don't do that. And I'm not interested in that. But I do love marketing and promotion stuff. So how do I blend that more into that is my angle? I wonder for you guys, if LA or domination, maybe it is getting an artist to make one of your pack, your next like packaging. That'd be fucking cool. Or having more events in LA or like every store in LA that is a hip store, like that's your target for the year as part of your marketing. Yeah. No, it's just good to think on a little bit. I'm actually curious about what your whole idea is. I feel like I've just kind of had this feeling that you keep getting more ingrained with specific products and brands. Do you have some other plan like you're just kind of working on right now and iterating with talking to different people with CPG specific and product giveaway and things like that? I'm not as strategic as it seems. You probably are in the back of your mind. You're just not even like conscious of it yet. Yeah. The way that I'm looking at it with a lot of these different kind of like CPG products and just business in general is like, what am I excited about? And then what's the best way to help and create an opportunity around that? And so we've done a a few things like we did Sumo.com, which was pop-ups for online stores. We did Meet Fam, the email marketing for stores, which is starting to pick up. The reality to me is that of all of these businesses, the really thing that everyone still needs no matter what, and probably forever is how do we get customers? Right. So if I can come to you, Sean, and say, hey, like I can come to your email marketing. You're like, well, I have an agency and these guys are charging me 10000 a month. And like if you use your, your software, then I don't have to pay them, but then they're not going to like that. So they don't want to use your software because they want to you know, provide, the, show that they're valuable, even though you're probably overpaying. Then it's like, well, ultimately, even Shopify, like what is Shopify? It's like some HTML and a Stripe button. Like that ain't shit. The real value at the end of the day is the most valuable company is actually the one that brings you the customers, which is Google and Facebook. And potentially Amazon as well, right? They're a little potentially competitive, right? Because they can create their own bars. And so I'm trying to think through and as a team or we're experimenting, how do we move more to the top of the position where it's like we are the distributor of these products? And so everyone doesn't have to keep spending money on Facebook ads because everyone's kind of advertising the same customer. 
Evan doesn't have to kiss the same like Instagram influencers ass. We've tried like sumo-market.com, which didn't really do great. And I don't think we, we invested enough in it. I'm experimenting with OKDork on Instagram, doing like a daily giveaway of like my favorite products. But for me, it's like there's product like yours where I eat it. I'm like, yo, this is great. Like I had one yesterday. I'm like, yo, it's a great fucking bar. And so that's why I wanted to get you on as well, which is how do I then help you know promote your bars? Or how do we as a business or me individually help more of the right customers find you guys? Besides just frankly, which is what the e-commerce playbook is, which is go kiss influencers ass, spend money on ads, maybe get in retail if you can, if you can get a distributor or, or get you guys have done well with it. That's not everyone. You know, and then maybe content marketing, a little bit has started to come up in e-commerce. So it's, you know, figuring out that we can create a new channel around that. I don't have the answer, but if you have suggestions, uh, I'd love to hear. Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely want to think through that a little bit more. I'm wondering though, have you ever almost received equity in companies for you becoming the marketer of it? I've never asked for it. Like, I feel like you could really bring some serious value at Like if you'd come to me nine months ago yeah. with that proposition, I feel like I would have absolutely been like, Noah, let's go. Yeah, I think for me, I just don't want other people's equity. I don't know. I just feel like I've got, I've invested in a few companies and I've gotten equity and it's been five years and it's still not worth shit. We've considered even with AppSumo in the software world, like, hey, give us a piece and then we'll promote it. And there's some like details we've figured out that could make it interesting. It's like, what's ours is ours. What's yours is yours. I'm not trying to get up in other people's shit, but just still, how do we promote it? That's something to consider. I'm not as excited about that. I think for me, I'm more like, how do I just promote the products I really love? and make money doing that more so than trying to own their business or own a piece of their business. I feel like you just brought up one of the most important things that's so overlooked right now. So that might be something that would really intrigue me, but you're like, nah, that doesn't really align with what I'm really interested in. But so many people end up trying to start the business that they aren't truly interested in. And because of that long-term, there's a lot of negative effects of that. Yeah. I think for me, frankly, I'm trying to like do two things. How do I get to try out a bunch of really cool products that are getting created and invented? And then if it's actually a great product, you know, how can I help promote it? How can we as a business help get it out to the world? I think that's pretty fucking exciting that we get to be on the forefront of software and, you know, we're working on the e-commerce world of all these products. Yeah, very exciting. That's yeah, pretty fucking cool. Hey, dude, I got to actually get rocking. So wh what do you think the the takeaways for the listeners and maybe for yourself? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking in terms of the listeners, let's start there and just keep it simple. Make sure that you're not trying to do too much right off the bat. Understand sales do take a little bit of time and don't expect a million dollar brand overnight. It's going to start with that small immediate network and growing out from there. I mean, for my own takeaways, I think what you hit on in terms of owning LA and the amount of market share we could get there to really create a big brand is really important for us. And then obviously just the email newsletter, everything we were talking through, be more consistent with it, put out interesting, good content that are going to bring those customers back. Yeah, just consistency with the newsletter, I would say, has been huge. Like, you know, it's shocking. You're not a female, but my, my fiance, she signs up to Fashion Nova. It's an online Forever 21. My suggestion for you is go sign up for Fashion Nova's email list and follow them on Instagram. Okay. When you go do that, you're going to be like, holy fuck, these people email so much, which they do. And then I think you'll be kind of shocked at what they present. Because basically, they just email just pictures and they email a discount and then they email more pictures and then they post it on Instagram. I would say, all right, well, what can I learn about this for the bars? I love that application from other industries. Yeah, I haven't heard of them, so I'm certainly going to check this out. Well, I think that it's always good to say, all right, well, what are the top companies in my vertical doing? I've done this all, I've done this, I don't know how long now, but what are the best ones in our industry doing? And then what's the best in other categories? So like Away Luggage is really popular. Allbirds is really popular. Go sign up for their mailing list. Go check out their site. See how their retargeting looks. See if they have a content strategy. A lot of things that we've actually done are just from, I see it in a new, another industry. I'm like, oh, I bet we can do that here. 
right? So with AppSumo, it's like, oh, what are other, like, how is Thumbtack doing their marketing, right? They're a marketplace for service providers. And what can we replicate or learn from for ourselves? That's a great thing away. Cool, man. All right, man, I got to get rocking. I'm rooting for you guys. Keep. Set, uh, I want everyone to go buy the MCT bars, mctco.com, and I'll put it out in the intro as well. Yeah, mctco.com. Awesome, No, Thanks so much, man. All right, boss. Well, that's a wrap. I hope you love the episode. If you did, go check out Sean at mctco.com. Next, text a friend you love them. Yo, dog, let's do a push-up contest together. And before you go, let me know what you thought of the episode by emailing podcast at okdork.com. I might actually read it. And a final special thanks to Jason at podcasttech.com, as always, for making these podcasts sound so nice and clean. Thanks, man. And a special thanks to David and Mitchell of the Dork Team. And a special shout out to Vanessa at AppSumo this week. Just want to let you know I appreciate you and the new office setup is fire. Have an amazing day. What's your favorite emoji? <laughs>